Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. My guest today is Dr. Aruni Bhatnagar. He's the professor of medicine at the Christina Lee Brown Envirome Institute of the University of Louisville in Kentucky. He is also the director of the American Heart Association Tobacco Center. Dr. Aruni, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me, Richard. Yeah, if you would, it looks like the topic we're going to talk about today is how pollution affects, you know, one's physiology, heart, blood vessels, etc. Are you good with that topic? You know, let's talk about it. Sure. That's the topic that I've been working on for many years. Well, tell me a little bit about your background first. How did you uh, come to be interested in this topic and how did you get to where you are? Yes. So my training at the University of Texas Medical Branch at Galveston, Texas, was to understand how we develop heart disease. My particular area of interest was in uh, cardiac arrhythmias or the irregular heartbeats and what are the mechanisms that contribute to that condition. And in that, I've been studying heart disease for a very long time. And in the mid-90s, it sort of became apparent that much of heart disease was because of exposure to different types of adverse environmental conditions, and one of them was air pollution. And, and so we've been studying how different types of exposures affect uh, the heart, and so therefore this was, was very interesting. And, and so at that time, we didn't know anything or very much about the magnitude of the problem or what could be causing this excessive mortality with people who were exposed to heart disease. So I got interested in that. I've been working on that, uh, this problem ever since. So when you talk about air pollution affecting people, I would think what would come to mind is smog and visible, you know, exhaust and air pollution. But, you know, as I go around my city, for the most part, it looks pretty clean and okay. I can't see the air pollution. Does air pollution need to be really strong or visible in order to affect people, or is it an invisible problem to a lot? 
Well, so there are both. I mean, there are problems with smog, which is generated by ozone. And, and we know that there are large particles, which are known as particulate matter of 10 microns and less. And so those are the called the PM10. And then there is another class of particles, which is much smaller called fine PM or PM2.5, which is less than 2.5 microns in its aerodynamic diameter. And then there's ultrafine PM. And so most of this fine and ultrafine PM is invisible to the naked eye. So things would look like there isn't much in the air, but these small particles are still there. And the irony is that the particles that we don't see, the fine and the ultrafine particles, are actually much more toxic than the particles that we can see or larger smog and suspended particles that are in the air. So these small particles penetrate deep into the lung and cause a variety of, of health issues, as we can discuss. But the one of the main outcomes of exposure is, of course, heart disease. And about 80% of the people who die prematurely due to exposure to air pollution die from heart disease. And so that's the reason that I got interested, my group got interested, and then I've been working with other agencies, including the American Heart Association, to understand the scope of the problem and what we can do about that. So how do the different particulate sizes affect a person's lungs, the fine, ultra-fine, and then, of course? So the, the, the course, most of the, the, the big particles are removed by the nose and the hair in the nose, and so most of this stays in the upper airways. But the fine and the ultra-fine can go deep into the lung. Now, once they go into the lung, there isn't much that the lung can do about that, and so they are deposited there. And once they deposit the cells of the lung, try to get rid of it, and they think that they are under some sort of microbial attack, like a bacteria or a virus, these particles elicit immune response. And these immune responses, they can generate, you know, things like cytokines and chemokines and generate a sort of an inflammatory response. And this inflammatory response can then get into the blood vessels. It can affect your inner lining of your blood vessels. It can affect the rhythm of the heart can affect your nerves that are in the lung and and so on. So that could create a variety of different sort of dysfunctions or injurious pathways that are activated that lead to these significant health outcomes. Yeah, clinically, is there a division clinically where um, let's say you biopsy lungs of people that have passed away or have, you know, a lung taken out and, and you tell the damage from, you know, fine versus ultra-fine versus coarse particles? Is it apparent? Yeah, so things like soot and coal and wood smoke exposures can actually be deposited, and there's something called the black lung. And we see black lungs, in you know, even going back all the way to, you know, the Mesoamerican mummies and, you know, prehistoric humans who've sort of lived in caves and spent a lot of time over fires and so on. So we can see when there is profound damage to the lungs. Suddenly you must have heard that people who smoke their lungs get you know, darkened and a different color and have a lot of injury in them. The fine and the ultrafine particles are a little harder to detect, although you can see them. And sometimes they're cleared off, but they could still be a, sort of a significant cause of pulmonary injury. So how does this, uh, we're talking about the lungs. I know the heart and the lungs are intimately related, but 
How does this translate to heart issues? So for several reasons. One is that the inflammation, and some people believe that these small particles are so small that they can pass from the lung into the and the blood circulation and then they can affect the heart and the blood vessels but we're not sure how much of that actually happens to what extent the particles can actually seep through or leak through the lung to affect heart and blood vessels maybe the main effect is because of inflammation and the heart and the blood vessels are particularly sensitive to this inflammatory pathway and and we see effects that change blood pressure, that change the contraction of the heart. In addition, when there are nerves that are stimulated in the, in the lung, that can change the rhythm or the variability of the heartbeats. So the idea is that heart, when it beats, there has a variable rhythm. And the more variability you have, the more healthier the heart is. And so people have shown that when you're exposed to either it's coarse PM, PM10, or even PM2.5, that the heart rate variability decreases upon exposure. So it can affect the actual functioning of the heart. So effects have been noted both in the function of the heart itself, as well as in the function of the blood, blood vessels. Why do you think that the heart rate variability would go down? What drives that? So there are two types of neuronal activation, the two types of nervous system systems the, the actual nervous system is called the autonomic nervous system it's the one that you know drives our breathing and autonomic reactions like digestion and so on and blood pressure regulation so there are two parts of that one is called the sympathetic nervous system and one is called the parasympathetic so in the sympathetic nervous system is like the flight and fight response the excitation and, and you must have had adrenaline and norepinephrine things like that so those are the sympathetic neural neurotransmitters and this sympathetic activation causes the heart rate variability to go down and so there is increase upon exposure to pm of the sympathetic component of heart rate uh, variability leading to a decrease in the in, in variability right upon exposure and this has significant consequences because we have seen in studies that whenever for example there is a an episode of air pollution, six hours later, you see an increase in the number of heart attacks in the area, right? And so there, there you can sort of map this out and many sort of time series studies have shown that uh, episodic increases in air pollution can trigger heart attacks. And that may be in part because of changes in the neuronal activation, changes in blood pressure regulation, that if, if people who are already at high risk of having a heart attack who have these unstable plaques in the heart or in the blood vessels of the heart, those could be disrupted and that would give rise to either um, heart attacks, which are called uh, myocardial infarction, or they could give rise to stroke. And every year, there are maybe about overall 7 million deaths worldwide because of exposure to air pollution. And like I was saying, a majority of them are because of uh, heart attacks and stroke. And so that's the mechanism by which these particles can activate your cardiovascular responses. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. 
please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now back to the show. Well, when you say heart attacks will go up after a pollution event, how much do they go up? You know, like, so what are some examples? And uh, when people go to the hospital with these heart attacks, like, do they present differently than heart attacks that come from other sources? No, no. They, they present they present with heart attack just like you have any, any other symptoms of heart attack. But there's a lot of mortality. Lots of people die because of this exposure to air pollution. And you think, well, this is just a heart attack. But in part, it's triggered by exposure to air pollution. And this is a small increase. For example, for every 10 microgram increase in PM2.5, you get about 4% increase in heart attack. And so this 4% increase may sound not very significant, but you know, since all of us, everybody is exposed to this polluted air, we have no choice but to breathe it, then that comes out to be a very large number. Most cities in the United States now have uh, PM 2.5 levels somewhere between between 5 to 15 microgram per meter cube. And these concentrations have significant health effects, particularly heart attacks. And there are places where these levels may be higher, particularly roadside, you know, near busy roadways, where you have a lot of ultrafine particles, which are even deadlier than the fine particles. The people that get heart attacks, what does that cohort look like? Are they on the way there already? Do they have like uh, angina and other comorbidity type elements or are they healthy people? Like has the cohort been examined that has heart attacks in response to a pollution event? Yes. So this has been a very lively debate in the field. And some people uh, for a long time discussed the idea that people who are dying in upon exposure to air pollution are already going to die anyway. They were already very susceptible to have heart attacks. And so air pollution just sort of hastened that or triggered the attack. So what they call was that air pollution only has a harvesting effect, right? These people are going to die anyway, just they died a little sooner. But that's not actually true. The most startling example was that when there was a mill in Utah and the steel mill, and the steel mill closed for a couple of weeks because of a strike, the death rates in the valley, in the Utah Valley, went down. And, and so this was actual life years saved because of la- a lack of air pollution. And so we now believe that there is an actual sort of effect on the total mortality so that if you remove all the air pollution, we might, you know, add uh, whatever, three to six uh, months in average lifespan of a person. So it is not just that. These people are going to die anyway, and air pollution just tips them over. But air pollution, you know, genuinely robs people of their actual lifespan. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Well, when, when people present at the hospital and it looks like they're having a heart attack, what percentage of them, there appears to be no significant blockage? I don't know if they have a name for this, but, you know, again, what percentage of that? And then with these... Um, Pollution-induced heart attacks is that percentage of no apparent blockage go up? Well, so so we don't really know. Most heart attacks occur through two mechanisms. So one mechanism is that you have a large plaque 
uh, in the heart and that due to some reason, uh, spontaneously the plaque ruptures and that creates sort of uh, a clot in the heart and that blocks the flow of blood. The same thing can happen in the brain, it's called a stroke. The other thing, so that's called a plaque rupture. But then some people don't have plaque and particularly we've seen this in women uh, who are smokers that they is, there is not much of a plaque, but that there is a small area where the, uh, there's a small plaque, but it just erodes. So there is no rupture, but erosion. And so that's a different sort of a event. But in both cases, the, uh, the result is uh, that formation of a blood clot within the artery and occlusion of blood flow. So the outcome is the same, but the pathologies are different. We do not know in that in the case of of uh, exposure to particulate air map, air pollution, what the effects are, but there are uh, different effects of air pollution on what we call ST elevation, MI, or it's called STEMI, and there are some STEMI air, um, heart attacks and there are non-STEMI heart attacks, and the air pollution affects them differently. So there is something uh, sort of different about air pollution than other sources of triggers of heart attack. But what about, um, you know, people that pass away, uh, God forbid, uh, from a heart attack? Is there histology done? Is there, are there biopsies done to look at the plaques and look at the heart tissue to characterize if they find, let's say, trapped particulates in the plaques or if they, you know, the composition of the plaques are different for some reason? No, so there have not been very many studies and it's been very difficult to find the particles in the plaques and that's because maybe most of them just stay in the lung and then there's a secondary effect. The uh, underlying pathology may be very similar to what happens in a, what we call, let's say, garden variety heart attack. And so it's very difficult to prove any death is related to air pollution. It's just a sort of an overall number. The interesting story is about this little girl who was in London and she would go to school every day, but she had asthma. And then one of these days when she was so much pollution in the uh, traffic in London, so she was exposed to the traffic and she died because of an asthma attack. And her mother fought the courts and it was the first time that they were certified in somebody's death certificate that they actually died of air pollution exposure, right? So Otherwise, today, there's been no other case that I know of, and nobody has been able to pinpoint specific deaths related to air pollution. We just know that whenever there is levels of air pollution higher, there are excessive deaths. Yeah, maybe it stresses the whole cardiovascular system, mm-hmm. and that's what leads to you know someone with an impaired heart, or it maybe pushes them over the edge, is maybe what it sounds like. I don't know. Yes, yes, exactly right. So it just, there is already a baseline pathology. I mean, certainly people who are young and healthy and who do not have heart disease are not just going to breathe some polluted air and die or keel over. You know, it, it, there has to be some level of background risk. Although we do see that continued exposure to air pollution can increase or accelerate the development of the disease. So if you're living in, air, in areas with highly polluted, then you have a you know, progressive increase in heart disease or the progression of heart disease. There are also studies showing that people who live in areas of high pollution tend to have more higher rates of diabetes. And diabetes uh, can, in turn, increase the risk of heart attacks. So maybe there is another indirect route of exposure, of by which exposure gives rise to a greater risk of heart attacks. Okay. Well, yeah, it sounds like there's still a lot more to be investigated and figured out. 
what are the sources of the different sizes of pollution? Is are there ones that only produce, you know, ultrafine or only produce fine, or do they all have a spectrum? And how do you identify the true sources? So there's all this, oh, there's a spectrum. So most of the wood smoke would be like PM10 and so on, but there may be some PM2.5. Mostly PM2.5 is generated from the burning of fossil fuels. And so most of this in, in urban environments is derived from industry and, and both mobile and stationary sources, but generally combustion of fossil fuels and what is coal burning plants and so on and other industrial processes. The traffic is a major source of air pollution. And if you are close to traffic, so when there are fresh emissions from tailpipes of automobiles, they generate a lot of ultrafine particles, which then sort of age and then become slightly bigger particles and give rise to PM2.5. So PM2.5 is uh, you know spread over long areas. It remains more or less constant. Whereas if the levels of the ultrafine are the highest right on the road. So we see that people who live within 100 miles or 150 miles of a a busy freeway have much higher risk of heart disease and much higher rates of uh, heart attacks and stroke. The most sort of toxic, the particles are the ultrafines and they're generated mostly from the burning of fossil fuels and tailpipe emissions of automobiles. However, the one of the highest levels of air pollution source of generation is agriculture. So when they use these fertilizers and so on, so those particles maybe have a different composition, but they're still about the size of PM 2.5 and the agricultural practices generate a lot of PM. About the last two years with all the extra cleaning protocols and, you know, masks and all that stuff, has that been corroborated with any change in heart attacks? Yes, so I've, I've not seen very many studies, but we have seen that their levels of air pollution uh, have decreased in many areas during the, the this pandemic when there were decreases in traffic and uh, there were decreases in general activity and manufacturing and shipping. And all these things led to a decrease in air pollution. I'm sure you've seen, you know, places where the sky was, you know, never blue. It suddenly seems clearer because the levels of air pollution has decreased. So that, I think, what showed us that levels of air pollution can go down. There hasn't been very many studies showing that what is the health benefit of that in terms of immediate decrease in heart attacks. The problem is that because the, although there was a, a decrease in the levels of air pollution, the total deaths in any community went up so much because of COVID that it's very difficult to dissociate the signal or any gains that we might have had than anything that would have you know, led to excessive mortality. There are some estimates that suggest that the reduction in air pollution may have saved more lives than COVID killed right, in some parts of the world. And so that is the trade-off, but it's very difficult to dissociate any such effect because of this really large increase in mortality because of COVID-19. Well, that's the um, possible positive effects. What about possible negative ones? You know, using cleaners indoors uh, over and over and over and breathing in the particulates from those. Has there been anyone even looking at that and seeing how that impacts people or, again, wearing masks, you know, for extended periods of time? Has it looked at that, how that's affected people's uh, cardiovascular health? Yes. So there have been uh, several studies. There are many important sources of indoor air pollution. 
the largest source of course is cooking so when people cook for example on a walk you can see all the fumes coming out and people who breathe those fumes they contain high levels of ultra fine and fine particles and they actually have significant health effects some of the there has been a higher incidence reported in cooks because of this constant exposure to cooking uh, derived emissions there are also reports of ultra fine and fine particles generated from things like incense and suddenly burn a burn a lot of incense you could see a lot of particles in the house burning candles creates a lot of pm there are other sources of pm for example printers and machinery and so on which can generate these small particles that are in the indoor air there have been a couple of studies and these studies have been done in say a nursing home where they have the people wearing masks or whether they filter the air and they found that if people if you can remove these particles from indoor areas then these particles would actually lead to a decrease in the, in the blood pressure it is that there are significant indoor sources of air pollution and in the nursing home studies when the people were asked to wear masks or whether they did indoor filtration using HEPA filters they could see decrease in the blood pressure levels of the residents of the nursing home showing that that the levels in which the particles are generated in indoor environments or seep inside or indoors from outdoor sources those have significant cardiovascular effects okay um so what i mean where is this going with these studies on uh, how people's hearts are affected by pollution where is it headed do you think and what will be a resolution for it well so i think that in in some cases the situation is getting better in the united states we've done an outstanding job in cleaning up our environment and most uh, urban cities in the united states have clean air but it's not so in other parts of the world i'm sure you know places like india and china and the uh, middle east and and suddenly you know air, mongolia and other places there are very very high levels of air pollution still and a significant amount of excessive mortality is associated with exposure to these air pollutants we think that this gain may be somewhat short lived even in places like the us and europe because of the climate change which causes greater levels of air pollution if you remember last year we had this big cloud of, of pollutants all over the united states coming in from the forest fires in california i live in the middle of the country and this is uh, kentucky and even here we could see the pollutants coming all the way from california the skies were like grayish and then you get this very very red sunsets and you know that there are levels of air pollution are very high and so we are going to have repeated forest fires we're going to have to deal with there are going to be other events and, and natural disasters that are going to increase in frequency and so you'll have higher levels of air pollution so there is much more work to be done we need to work on cleaner sources of energy we need to worry about you know electrical vehicles we need to figure out you know not to use these carbon these coal burning plants that generate a lot of air pollution so we have to work on reducing sources and emissions and areas of exposure so this would require both governmental solution and a civic solution in louisville we are doing this sort of a very unique experiment in which we are trying to figure out if 
we can decrease the levels of air pollution by regulation and we can always be you know out there and marching and uh, demanding better regulation but then you can only go so far and as long as you you know you can't ban all cars and traffic from areas where you live so we thought wasn't this is there something that we can do so we started this project called the green heart project and the green heart project is to see that if we plant trees and we you know increase the greenness in a certain area significantly would that decrease the levels of air pollution and improve cardiovascular health so in the green heart project we are going to be what we are doing is we are going uh, to we, we did actually measure cardiovascular disease risk in a large number of people who live in in one particular area in south louisville about 1000 people and then we measure the levels of air pollution and then we're going to plant uh, some uh, very large trees because if you plant small trees it's going to take 20 30 years for these trees to grow so we want to plant uh, at least 20 30 foot trees you know between 8 to 10000 of these trees in an area that's about 2 uh, miles and see that if you intensively green a particular urban neighborhood would that decrease the levels of air pollution and decrease the cardiovascular disease risk so uh, we think that developing infrastructure green infrastructure in urban areas around the world could be one solution in which we can decrease the levels of air pollution because trees absorb particles they can remove toxins from the air the toxic gases and then they can actually physically obstruct the particles from for example going from the freeway to people's residential areas so we're trying to develop unique community based solutions that could in some measure mitigate the risks of excessive air pollution particularly from traffic sources so such measures need to be adopted around the world we need to develop on a green infrastructure we have to decrease emission from sources so we have to have a sort of a multi-pronged approach to at least get a meaningful grasp on the problem so are people that commute or walk along main roads a lot more susceptible to people that just live in a house that's you know blocked from the main road or in more rural areas like how important is proximity to the emission sources oh very important so people who live next to major roadways do have higher risk of cardiovascular disease that's been repeatedly shown people who are near traffic sources are much more likely to be exposed and much more likely to suffer consequences with that one of the important things is uh, walking is you know they did an experiment in london there is a place called the hyde park where they have people with heart attack or with heart failure walk in hyde park and then there's another group of people walked in the but some a place called oxford street which is one of the most polluted areas in london so people who walked in the hyde park had improvements in their cardiac function that lasted uh, almost a week or more and then people who were walking on the oxford street saw worsening of symptoms of heart failure so if you are walking around in, in areas of high traffic it has adverse consequences and that could persist and particularly if you are you know running or jogging around areas of high traffic because when you're running and jogging you're actually taking more air right and so that would give rise to that would make you inhale more of these particles and give rise to greater adverse effects than if you were simply walking at a leisurely pace so certainly we don't it, it's not advisable for people to be jogging in areas of high pollution and i think there are places that they have these 
you know, Google Maps can tell you what levels of air pollution is present in which streets so you can avoid jogging in those streets and, you know, jog around areas which have less or the lower levels of air pollution. Well, very good. Uh, where can people find out more about uh, your efforts in the American Heart Association? Where can they go? So there are statements, scientific statements from the American Heart Association in a journal called Circulation. And if you look at the American Heart Association scientific statement on air pollution, you can find that out there. We did two different scientific statements that were published, you know, five, six years apart. I was, I was part of both of those. And you can learn about what the scientific evidence is. There is of course, guidance from the EPA about avoiding air pollution exposure and so on. And so there are a lot of resources to learn about the levels, what air pollution levels mean and how to avoid exposures. Well, very good. Well, Rini, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. One other thing I wanted to ask you, though, is that I wanted to, in I don't know whether you want to be with the conversation. Otherwise, I have a podcast that I'm doing myself and I wanted to sort of mention oh, that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's mention it to listeners. Go ahead. That's great. Yeah. So in order for us to learn more about how not just air pollution, but different levels of uh, different uh, elements of nature can affect our health. I host a podcast. It's it's called Elements of Nature. And in, in that, we actually talk to accomplished scientists or an author uh, who is working in the area. And we want to have a conversation about how different elements of nature, such as air, water, and soil, and the daylight cycle affect our health, and uh, what can we do to live healthier lives by being more attuned to this, uh, to different sort of forces of nature, and how we can avoid adverse exp- sort of exposures from natural sources. So if you're interested, you can listen to our podcast. Again, it's called Elements of Nature, and I think we're going to release it in a couple of months. And I think it'll be very widely available on Spotify and, and other places, wherever you get your podcast. Well, excellent. Well, again, thank you so much for coming already. I appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.